radio. I had one of my closest friends and confidants from growing up. And I need to let you know these young kids out here that you need positive role models in your mind and in your heart. So without ado, I'm going to introduce my homeboy. His name is Sean Marshall. He comes from Baltimore. And this is what we're going to do now. Good afternoon, bro. How are you, my brother? How you feeling? I'm good, man. I'm blessed. Okay. So the topic of the day, man, you know, I wanted to address a lot of, uh, you know, these young kids out here in these gangs and these streets, you know, running around with all these guns out here killing everybody. But then they get to prison. They ain't that person no more. They they, they want to do right. So tell us a little about your, a little bit about your situation and about what you've been through growing up, man. Oh, man, uh, it, was, it was a different situation for me because, you know, I had older brothers that I looked up to, but they always tried to keep me out of the street. My brother, you know that my brothers was out there. They felt as though they was trying to teach me the right thing, but at that time, you know, they were, those were my idols. So I kind of followed that path. I was on two different paths. One, in, in school, I was an honor roll student. But then when I got out in the street, I felt like I had to be an honor roll student out there, too, because I thought I needed to be accepted. I was in the process of finding myself at that time. You know what I mean? Right. But during the course of that time, you know what I mean, I dibbled and dabbled in some things that I shouldn't have been in. I had no reason to be into it. Right. You know, I had good friends, you know, such as yourself and others that, you know, we was all trying to find ourselves, but we was together doing it. You know what I mean? But one thing I can say about growing up, it was a lot of love. It was a lot of loyalty. It was a lot of trust. I don't understand what's out here today because these guys will call you their friend. You will eat food with them. You know their mothers. You know what I mean? Y'all hang out every day, but they'll be the first ones to kill you. That didn't happen back in our day. Right. Our word was our word. No matter what the situation was, even if we had a problem with each other, we dealt with it in-house. Nobody on the outside ever knew we had a problem. Because when we go out together, we together. Right. The morals and principles that were taught to us, and I had this conversation with my mother before when I got in trouble. The morals and principles that was taught to us is stick with your friends. Make sure you go somewhere with them, you come back with them. You don't never run on them. Whatever y'all go through, y'all go through together. These are the morals and principles that was taught. So what I don't understand is how these kids these days call themselves friends, but the minute something happened that they knew was going to happen, not that they was caught off guard and they didn't know what was going on. They sat there, they plotted, they planned, and then as soon as something happened, they'd be the first ones to tell them I'll never understand that. Even though we didn't make the, all the right decisions, our core foundation was trust, loyalty, family, and friendship. And still to this day, it's like that now. That's why we're doing this interview. Right. So, tell me a little bit, like, you know, give them a little insight what you've been through in your life growing up, man. All right, when we was, when we was younger, it was this uh, place called Rhythmscape. That we used to go to. 
Right. It was a little. It was a disco where you could skate, you could dance. The picture man was there, and it was basically for our age between like ten, ten on up. It was a who's who, who you knew, and you know people from different parts of the city. So that's that's where we grew up at. You know, we grew up there. You know, fighting, uh, getting into stuff that uh, we probably shouldn't have got into. Uh, and even at that early age. You know, things fell to us like guns, which it was prevalent. So, you know, we used to carry them. I had, you know, we had friends everywhere. That's one thing about Baltimore back then. Nobody stayed in their area. Everybody traveled and moved around. So that's how everybody in Baltimore knew each other. As opposed to today, everybody stays in their own area neighborhood and nobody knows nobody. So back then, you know, it was like a crew of us. It was me, you, Corey and them from the junction. Then, you know, got our homeboys from up Park Heights. Like, it, it, it was so many of us right. that it was a family. From no matter where you went, we was always accepted. Exactly. Exactly. And see, that's, and you know, this thing about back in the days, man, you know, you know, that loyalty thing was something that is like, Man, it's hard to come by now, man. It's like, I always tell people, they be like, why you ain't uh, hanging out with this person, that person? I always tell them, like, dude, if I ain't play with you in the sandbox, I really don't deal with you. It's like, because I lost so many, and so many that I've been around that, I just can't take the chance of putting my friendship out there, and you, and you do something to make me want to do something to you, so... And, you know, when you just talked about these young kids out here, how they stay in their lane, you know, I always come back to the same situation, man. You know, a lot of these kids, is, you know, they scared out here. They don't have no guidance. So they don't know how to interact outside of, the, outside of their hood because they might get caught off a of guard or something might happen to them. So it's like what you're saying is, is truly a... a the right, you know, it's the, it's really what's going on out here, you know. So you know, back to the point I was trying to get back to you was is like, um, I know you spent some time in prison, and I know yeah. you, I know you've been through some things, and I just wanted you to you know, you know, cap on you know, giving these young kids guidance, like give them the you know the the, the blueprint of uh, how not to do what you did. Uh, to, be, to be very honest with you, Knuckles, I'll start them off from where it started. Where it started was, you know what I mean, we grew up, we had reputations, and, you know, like I said, I had one foot in the street and one foot in school. I was supposed to go into the Navy December the 12th, 1988, to be a cryptologic technician. Right. And that's fixed computer programs and write, uh, fixed computers and write computer programs. But I kept talking to my recruiter, like, look, I need to get out of here earlier because I was I just graduated June the 12th, 88, you know. So he kept saying, Sean, that's too long to sit. And I'm like, yeah, you're right, but that's the school that I want to get with them computers. So during that time, I was well known, you know and I mean, and me and my homeboy, we caught a murder. You know what I mean? Right. Being at a party. You know, being where I'm well-known, things happen. Everybody out there is just chaos. You know what I mean? So, with that being said, once we caught the, the murder, 
to be very honest with you, my homeboy was like, look, Sean, I got this. You go ahead in the Navy. I'm going to take the charge. Right. And like I said to him, I'm like, yo, we friends. I just can't let you lay your life down like that. I'm going to ride it out with you. You right. know what I'm saying? Now, and, I, and, and for everybody out there, listen to what I'm saying. I'm not saying it because I was tough. I'm not saying it because I was slick. I said it because that was loyalty. That was a friend. Remember what I said earlier? When your parents teach you, if that's your homeboy, you stick with him. You go where. If he goes somewhere, you go somewhere, y'all come back together. So at what point do I just give my morals and principles up? Because who would I be then? These are the keys today. So that at that point, he said, you sure? And I'll be honest with you, Knuckles. I was sure, but I didn't know what the hell I was about to go through. Right. Never been locked up. You know what I mean? I'm facing life now. But all I knew was it's us against the world. That's how we was raised. Me and you see each other. Anything go on, it was us against the world. Right. So at that point, you know, we caught out time. He copped out to 30. Uh, they gave me 15. Uh, so I went in the joint at... 17 years old, barely standing five feet tall. Right. Barely. So now I'm in the jungle. So you got to grow up fast. We One thing I can say about me, you, and all our friends, we was always thinkers. That's one thing I can say. So when we when I got in the joint, man, I'm watching what's going on. My first night there. We get off the bus, we in a small visiting room, and this dude is beside me. He probably like five, seven, five, eight, and he complaining, I don't wanna be here. I don't wanna be here. And I'm like, I'm looking at him, and for a moment, he was so scared, he was scaring me. You dig what I'm saying? Right. So I'm like, yo, what in the world is going on? But I don't really care no mind. They strip searches, and we as we walking through the record. It's people still in the rec hall. It's about 9, 30, 10 o'clock at night. We got there. My introduction to prison starts right here. As we walking, somebody recognized the dude, but the dude standing beside me in the line. They say, guess who back? Oh, you thought you was going to take people's stuff and, and not see us again? So next thing I know, one dude went to the next rec hall. He yelled up to the next rec hall. By the time we got to be tier, they stabbed him up right in front of me. My introduction. Introduction. At, at 17. Right. And it was so crazy because once the police got there, they called the code. You know how you have an accident on the road? Right. Police come by, they clean it up, and then everything go back to normal? Right. Man, they came and cleaned the blood up, got them out there, and the next thing they said to the newcomers that was coming in, y'all want to go to the child hall and eat? Like nothing happened. In my mind now, I need to get to the cell and figure out how to make a knife. <laughs> that I'm not hungry. I'm not none of that. You dig what I'm saying? Right. So, I'm like, all right, cool, because now I'm on Google. This protection at all times. But... I'm like, all right, so cool. I get to the cell. Now, for you young guys out there, you got to understand, this is how God moves. And it's funny because I can laugh about it now, right? That whole night, now, I'm sitting there trying to figure out how to make a knife, what I can take, what I can do, and so forth and so on, 
right? The next morning, they call for child. I go to breakfast in the morning. The, as soon as I get in the breakfast hall, one of my homeboys that you know very well, Gerald Pompey, wow. yells at me, Sean Marshburn. And I'm looking around, the first thing I say to myself is, who knows me in here? And by the grace of God, it was one of our childhood friends starting to tell me, such and such out the huts, the other person over here. It was so many people in this jail that I knew from us running around in the street and actually being friends with that God put me in a situation where I had some strong, intelligent brothers ready to tie my shoes up, how to maneuver in a different type of jungle. Right. So, you know, once I got there, you know, the older guys was schooling me like, look, here's the way of life in here. Now, for guys, other guys that was never out there or running around in the street and they made mistakes and they, they really wasn't supposed to be there at all. They was just trying to be something that they wasn't had the roughest time in the world because they didn't know how to adapt. And that's what I see in these kids today. These kids go to jail and they want to join gangs because they are looking for acceptance. Yeah. We, didn't, we, we didn't have, we wasn't looking for acceptance. We accepted each other as friends. Yeah. Without conditions. What I don't understand about them gangs, man, is like, when we grew up, it wasn't no gangs. It was like, you know, you, you like you say, we moved around the different neighborhoods and all that. But we ain't running no gang. It wasn't no Bloods and Crips and GDs and all that shit. We ain't had none of that growing up. We knew that for a fact. We knew for a fact. If I went somewhere and we went together, and I'm going to give you a prime example. You can relate to this. Okay. Going down the Inner Harbor on Easter. <laughs> you remember them days? Yes, I do. Yeah, very vividly. So it's is 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 us against Murphy Home, Lexington Terrace, and everything else. And at the end of the night, anything went down once it got dark. Yeah, because everybody was down there, and that's you know what. That's where men stood out. And that's where we forged a lot of relationships. Because back then, men respected men. Exactly. So, so from Murray Homes, Lesson Terrace, Park Heights, everywhere, the junction, once men met men, relationships forged and friendships were strong as ever. So it didn't matter where you was from, they was looking at you like a man. Exactly. exactly. These kids don't have that in them. Because at least we had older guys telling us right from wrong. Now, and they told us, like, look, this look glamorous, but here's the downfall to it. So if you make this decision, understand what's going to happen. We have both sides of the coin. These kids don't because when that other side of the coin flip and they in prison, they're looking for acceptance so they join gangs to be protected. Exactly. I think the bottom line is I think it's more protection than want to join the gang. Because 
you know, I listen to, I, I listen to certain dudes. And I listen to a lot of things that go on with them gangs. And I have a hard time for someone, for some nigga to tell me to go kill somebody. And he won't go do it. It, 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 it baffles me sometimes. Like, you out there selling drugs, and you ain't really making no money. Because Baltimore is not like we used to grow up. It is not where, when I grew up, and I'm up on Belvedere, and I'm in the back alley, I might got 50 people that's going to break cop break. It's a line back there. So I'm used to dealing what we call soup lines, selling dope back in the days. This new generation, they don't know how to do no. They don't know how to get money like that. And no, all they know how to do is take. Exactly. Exactly. Because they don't have no. They never had no guidance. The ball was dropped because that generation was basically. It was that crack and dope generation that the parents we knew was going to be their kids. That this is what's out there now. These kids out here lost, man. And I know you was mentoring kids when you was in the joint and on the street. So, you know, give people a little insight what you was doing with the mentoring program, helping these young kids out here. Well, when I was in uh, Hagerstown, we had a uh, program called PATH, Prisoners Against Teen Tragedy. I did that for like five and a half years. Because, to be very honest with you, I wanted to learn about these kids to help them and also figure out what was in myself that made me do what I used to do. So I did that for five years and we dealt with uh, training schools, Victor Cullen, uh, you know, different group homes in Washington County. They used to bust them out there. And at one point, even college students came in from Frostburg State University because they wanted to hear our stories. So... I helped them, and those kids taught me a lot. They taught me that it's a lot of kids just looking for guidance. But the sad part about it is they got two roads. Either you have somebody around you trying to manipulate as far as gangs, corrupt you as far as gangs, and get you to do something that they're not willing to do as far as gangs to be accepted, or you have somebody that's that one person saying, that's not worth it. So, see, we all have a choice, but that's how we got to give these younger kids better choices than the alternative of wanting to fit in with somebody that ain't doing nothing. So, while I was working with them, I forged good relationships, not only with the kids, but with the counselors, trying to understand what methods the counselors was using to get to these kids. Because one thing about a kid is they can see straight through you. They know whether you're telling the truth. So it was a time where, and this is the most profound situation I had. It was a time when I was dealing with these kids from Victor Cullen. There was this young kid in there. I'm on the floor. I'm telling him about my life. And this young kid, he is taking over the meeting. He's laughing. He's joking. He's playing. He's just trying to be a spectacle to kids so the kids don't listen. He's looking for attention. Okay. So we already said when it's kids like that, we step off the floor, we isolate this kid so we can talk to him because it's a bigger problem with him, right? Right. So I sat down, I took him to the side, and before I went to the side, 
outside the council said, good luck, because he don't do no talking. You dig what I'm saying? So I said, all right, cool. So I'm over there talking to him, and I'm like, sure, what's wrong? He's real aggressive. He tried to go hard. And I'm like, sure, you in the wrong place for that. But I, instead of going at him, I recognized his anger and realized it was something behind that anger. So he's telling me about the things he's been through, totally blowing my mind, totally blowing my mind. So what he said to me was, when he had home, I said, how many kids in here where y'all could go home today will go home? Everybody raised their hand for him. I asked him why he wouldn't go home. He said, because I can survive in here. I can protect myself around these people. I'm like, you can't do that at home? He was like, no. So I'm like, well, you know, if you need some help, talk to us. He said, talk to y'all. Talk to y'all about what? I said, well, if anybody's doing something to you, he said, doing something to me, the police doing something to me. Wow. So I'm, like, so I'm like, well, what do you mean? He said, like, he, he getting real aggressive now. The police raping me. I said, the police? He said, yeah. So I said, well, who, you know, who's that? The police was his father and his uncle, man. Wow. So that's where his aggression came from. So at this point, now I'm talking to him, consoling him, because he sees I actually care as opposed to the counselors just getting the paycheck right so once i found out what was going on with him i went to talk to the counselors and the counselor's like well he's been here two years he ain't never told us i said well miss do you ever sit down and talk to him or do you just look at him out like a number because i'm in prison and y'all look at me like a number but i'm up here helping y'all because we don't get nothing for this and they was amazed that we could relate to these kids because he was trying to figure out how prison was. Because in his mind, he was coming. So he needed some information from me, but he also gave me some so that way I could help him. So instead of talking to his counselors, I went to my counselor at the time and said, look, man, y'all keep talking about we up here to help these kids. He just wrote something straight to the light. How y'all going to help because if y'all ain't here to help him, I don't want to do this no more. Because if a person's banging their soul to you, and now they looking for help, and we say we there to help him, but then after he leaves, we forget about him, we worse than they are. Right. So that was some of the mentoring that we were doing in prison. And when some of the kids used to come in that got locked up, that was young, I used to try to school them because... Don't make this your, your ending. Don't come in there and try to fit in. Be who you are so you can get a chance to go back out there and change your life around. Exactly. So, so the whole time I'm in prison, now I'm using what I had already, and that was the intellect from being on the honor roll in high school. And it's like, which way do you want your life to go? These are questions I'm asking myself daily. How are you going to get there? Now, what you said earlier was, these kids don't know how to hustle, okay? So they can't think. So I used to sit down and learn how to play chess. Why did I learn how to play chess? Because it helps you think three or four steps ahead of life. Exactly. Exactly. So I, 
So I learned it. And then I applied the same principles to what was I going to do when I got home? I, don't, I didn't want to be in here. And, and in Hagerstown, I was in two riots. So it's a lot to think about. Do you really want to come back to this? By the grace of God, you didn't have life, so you get a chance to go back. You got friends that got life, and they telling you, boy, you go out there, stay out there, because I, I might not ever get that chance. So these are the thoughts in your head. So for me, I made a conscious decision. I got to move different. I got to plot my way through. When I get home, I had a plan. It was straightforward. I'm going to get back in school, go to college. I'm going to get a job and this and that. And nothing is going to derail me because nobody can tell me what I've just been through in there. Especially when you gave 15 years of your life. Right. Mm-hmm. No, nobody can tell me that. Right. So I was focused. You know what I mean? And, you know, by the grace of God, I came home. And I tell you, no, what was what, the way the world was then, I walked back into a culture shock. Because like you said, the cracker and all this and that, when they dropped that in there, when I came home, this town looked crazy as I don't know what. The moors and principles was gone. People was doing stuff to each other. But, you know, they call themselves family. They call themselves cousins. And they was plotting and planning on each other. And as soon as I came home, people saw me. And the first thing they offered me was guns and drugs. I said, yo, I got to go. Hmm. I got to go. I'm like, yo, can y'all help me get a job? No, but we can put this package in your hand. Or yo, you know, we like the guns. We can get you a gun. I'm like, what? Like, hold up. Do y'all realize where I just came from? So I made the conscious decision at that time to move up New York. New places, new things, a new new atmosphere, new opportunities. I feel you, bro. I know you know me. Us just growing up and, you know, just been through what we've been through. You know, I made a conscious decision to move to Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, I remember the conversation my cousin Manny Man had with me. Because he just came out of the Navy. And he was living in Atlanta, Georgia. And he came down to me. He was like, look, cuz. He said, man. He said, you know you bigger than Baltimore. And he said to me, he was like, uh. The best thing for you to do is, is to leave Baltimore for and do two things to you. Either you're going to be in prison the rest of your life because of your name, or you're going to be dead somewhere. And when he said it to me, sometimes you blow things off and you don't pay no mind. But after he left, like them three days of being around, you know, being down in Baltimore, when he left, it weighs so heavy on my mind, man. Because, like I always tell people, you can get money and you can do certain things, but what are you going to do when it comes to having to survive after you don't sell drugs, after you don't hustle and do this and that? Can you survive? Can you go get a job? Do you know how to write a resume? Can you write a check out? 
Is you, do, right. you, do, you, do you have that, that, that drive to take care of everything that's around you still and you don't have to fall back on hustling? And a lot of people in Baltimore always talk about, man, I want to get out of Baltimore, and I always tell them to stop being scared. Right. If you can survive in Baltimore, then you can survive anywhere. Absolutely. I totally agree. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, back to the point when you were talking about these kids out here, you know, I always had a fun thing about talking to little kids in the neighborhood. And I had I had wrote a little program back in the days, and it was like, how do you get to a kid first? And sometimes the best way to get to a kid is, you wonder why this kid out on the street hustling and doing what he's doing. It's because the house is broken. If the mom broken and if the father broken, the system broken, how are you going to help this kid? Because when he go home, is he eating at night? Is he going home, is he being molested at night? You don't know what's going on with him. And but you want to you want to you want to fix the problem, but you don't want to fix the main problem. So I always said if you don't go into the household and deal with the parents first and see what's what, what's wrong with them. Because they could be on drugs. They could not be having a job. They could be alcoholics. You don't know what's going on in the household. If you don't get that first part of the household together, you can't help that kid because at the end of the day, he always going to resort back to where he know. And that's his family. Right. And just you saying, you know, what you were saying about how you know had to get to this young boy to find out his problems. The biggest thing, man, I, I always tell people in Baltimore is like, we have so many brothers there that don't want to admit to themselves that they got ADD. And they got a lot of issues when it comes to their psyche that they don't want to address because they think that's just, oh, he wild and now he acting crazy. Nah, man, you need some help. You need a pill, bro. It's, 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 it's something that's in your family that you need to get fixed. And sometimes smoking weed and drinking don't help the problem. So you, you, you run around and you do these crazy outlandish things and walk around shooting guns everywhere you go, always in fights and all this type of situation. And then you wonder why you're going through what you're going through. It's bigger, sometimes it's bigger than us, man. And, you know, I'm glad that me and you and a couple other our friends that, you know, I always see your brother, man, and I always see him online and his little sands and everything. And, you know, the Stop Shooting uh, program he got they got going on, man, you know, I think it's a good thing for Baltimore. But I think we need more programs like that. You know, I really, I really do, man, you know. I'm in the process of opening up a nonprofit, and you know, I really want to get some strong brothers that's really around me that that really know how the streets are, you know. So, besides that, man, you know, I just need to know, far as wise, what's your future plans, man? What's what's going on with your future, man? Well, to be very honest with you, you know, uh, the way I see it is, I'm with those type of programs. 
You know what I mean? That's why I, I, I applaud my brother in every way, shape, or form because we as men always talking about what we can do, but until you step up and put it into action, we ain't helping the kids. You know what I mean? So even down to the point, I, I would like to be involved in a strong program where we can benefit the kids. And my thought process is like what you just said. Have that funding to be able to feed these kids. Because once you feed that one of those needs, it opens up a conversation. Have, have a kid, have a be able to help a kid out if he need clothes. Because then once he feels good about himself, he'll start to talk to you a little more. So with that being said, you know, uh, me and my brother had already discussed before about him uh, writing a proposal for some grants. So that way we can do something different to for Baltimore. Because this is a great town if we can put it back together. Exactly. And, and that's the direction we going in to try to help these kids because as we get older and smarter and more intelligent, if we don't pay it forward, we ain't doing the right thing. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, so we, we looking into things like that right now. Uh, I've been asked to, uh, between my brother and myself, I've been asked to write a book on, you know, the things that I've been through. Uh, I'm just really trying to put it in perspective of where I want to bring it from and what demographic I want to touch where it's going to really make a difference, where they're going to be able, really be able to relate so I can help somebody, even if it's one person that can understand what I've been through what, and, and how we can coordinate it together to help them, then that's what I want to do. And that's what you need to do, bro. Yeah. I think you have enough insight of helping young kids out here and impacting their lives. I mean, I think that's a, a beautiful thing to do. Um, you know, talking to my wife with her book, you know, my wife was hesitating to write her book. She would write here and there and she would take a couple months off and then then it'd be a year and one of her friends passed away and it really hurt her and once that situation happened it like opened the floodgates up for her because she finished the book okay. and you know at the end of the day sometimes you have to Take that leaf of faith, bro. You gotta, you gotta go out there, man, and tell your story. Right. Cause your story of who you are will help a lot of people. It will. Respect. You understand what I'm saying? Absolutely. They need to hear your story, man. People gonna listen to this and be like, "Wow, I didn't know this. I didn't know that." But at the end of the day, you need to tell your story. And you don't need to sugarcoat it. Right. I feel you on that. And one thing that we need to do as men, you know, stop, get this pride out the way, these feelings and all that, man. We need to just say what we need to say, man. And I know yeah. sometimes, you know, it's hesitant 
and you, we still, as we get older, we loyal to a pride. We, we, we pride the two and loyal at the same token. Right. But, you know, I would love for all of us, to me and your brother, to get together, man, and I basically, you know, I just, I'm ready to, I'm ready to get my feet on the pavement, man, and uh, come out here and help these kids, man. You know, we need to get these BNBL programs back up at the gyms, get these kids in the recreation centers, and man, we need to start, you know, getting them on trips, going back up to D.C. so they can know that, know the Congress and the Senator, know all these things they need to know for government growing up. We need to get all these programs that was back in the days when we grew up. We need to get these programs back. You know, it's funny that you say that, man, because when I look at when we was growing up, you're right in a lot of respects. There are no more sports programs. And I and, and don't get me misunderstood. I'm not saying it for them to get themselves out of the hood with the sports. What I'm saying is that was a situation where they could forge relationships. They could forge friendships, build camaraderie. You know what I mean? And then have that friend beside them to say, man, don't do that. That ain't a good look. They don't have any of that no more. They, they don't have somebody teaching them, uh, like you say, how to write a check. What banking is. You know what I mean? They like they don't. They might have a talent that we never know about because they, like you said, they so prideful not to show it because people might laugh at them because their tough persona is supposed to be something different. So you're absolutely right. We need to reintegrate these kids into society and teach them the Congress, like you said. Let's travel, even take them out of the neighborhood to let them know that it's a whole other world outside of your world. Exactly. Make them curious to say, yo, I want to travel. Let them know that it's different parts of the state, different cultures, different people that you can actually bond with. That's and because you and I both know we've been a lot of places. I don't care what race, creed, or color you are. It's men and real women everywhere. 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 But they, yeah, so then that's what these kids don't even know. They might look at this TV show and see somebody talking like from down south, down Atlanta, or East country. Regardless of what he is, he's a man. Exactly. They just don't make men in your hood and in your state. But a lot of these kids don't know it. They don't know that there's other people that are intelligent and, you know, upstanding and loyal and willing to help them. See, that's the key. You take them out of their element, you and I both know. Atlanta Southern Hospitality is crazy. Man, what you talking about, bro? You know what I mean? These kids, they see, here's a different mentality. You take a kid from out of Baltimore, put him in Atlanta, and Atlanta's just like, hey, bro, how you doing? You good? Can I help you? This and that. These kids so twisted, they going to think, oh, he a sucker. I got one. Right. No, he not. He just trying to help you out genuinely. And these kids need to be exposed to that type of lifestyle so that they can see I can do and be anything I want to be. I just gotta take a chance and get out of my own hood. Yeah, but you know that that all go by 
you know, what you was just saying is like, you know, we need to start having these people in office to stop swearing that money in their pocket right. and getting these programs where we need to get them at. And we need to start running down on these corporate places and letting them know you around here making all this money in our neighborhood, but you ain't sponsoring them. Right. You know, you you know, can I get three, four kids in here to work on the weekends and you pay them? You know, uh-huh. sometimes it takes the little small things to have big things going. And right. I always said that taking the program, like you said, it's not about sports, but every little kid, when I grew up, I was looking forward to playing Tawanda and football, Lucille, right. and going on a traveling league, baseball season. I knew I was going to play this team, that team. You was looking for them, them, them little games that you was playing, and you was networking right. at the end of the day. And right. that person you met on the other team, now you can go into his neighborhood and know his friends, and he know your friends. And, right. you know... It's sad that these kids don't even go out to the to, to like schools and play football against each other on the weekends and stuff like that. They don't know these type things. And this is what I want to introduce back into Baltimore because it's like it's it's like a, a cause that got lost that shouldn't have got lost because we grew up off of it. Yes. You know, so you know, when I hear my homeboys or my homegirls telling me, oh, my son at 16 got killed, it, it hurt, man. It, 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 it kills me, man. I don't know. I was saying this because I was, uh, we was at Park Heights yesterday. Right. For Stu Dog, Stu Dog's daughter, rest in peace, 28 years old, young lady was murdered. It, it, it's getting out of hand. You understand what I'm saying? These kids are not even able to raise a family, be productive in society, be even be tax-paying people. They're not passing certain age. And you know, when we was kids, we never thought about not seeing you tomorrow. Right. I didn't think, you know, me and Knuckles hung out on Saturday night. I'm, matter of fact, I'm going to see him Sunday. We, we never entertained the thought of you not being around. Right. These kids now, it's like, it's a fly-by-night. They might be here, they might not, and that's not right. Because the generations are getting killed off. Yeah. And the sad part about it is, they're not even killing just men. They're killing women and kids now. Yeah. And it's like, has eroded. Eroded. And, you know, I know Street from back in the days, man, you know, I know you used to, you know, come from Woodland. It don't matter about where you come from. It's always about you zone 15 to me at the end of the day. And, you know, my prayers go out to that brother, man, because I know any man that lose a child, man, before he leave this earth is a hard thing, man. And when I talk to some of my friends, you know, like Donna, and and, and and Donna, when I talk to them, and you know, my homeboy, you know, Bunky, that's her husband, lost right, his right. son, man. You know, 
that hurt, man, sometimes generate all the way through, man. And it, it, yeah. it start to it start to affect the, the adults that's going through it because, like you said, we grew up, we didn't have to think, oh, I'm not going to see Don and the Don and them tomorrow. Or I'm not going to see right. Bunky and them. Or I ain't going to see them at the club. Or we're going to go to this basement party. Yeah, I'm going to see y'all. It, it wasn't right. that type of situation. Like, right. and if you heard somebody dying in our generation, you'd be like, oh, man, that's messed up. It bothered you. Right. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, thinking about this whole situation of how we need to change things, man, I just think that Zone 15, you know, strong as we are, I just think that we got a lot, a lot of strong people that's around us that I think we can make a positive impact when it comes to getting this new generation together. Because the next generation is coming up now. Yeah. yeah. And they're going to be worse than this generation. We, we, we got to take our communities back over and come from within and spread out. Because if we can control our communities and raise these young kids up, and we like you know how we was back in the day. If you see something wrong, your mother seen you on your home. We do something wrong, she corrected them. We need to get back to that where they know that somebody's always watching. We here to help you. We ain't here to just turn our backs and ignore you. Because right now, some of these kids' parents will see somebody doing something and just ignore them and keep going. Right. And that's how society is. We need to come from within the communities, establish that foundation again, and then take it out. And they see what we're doing. So yeah, Zone 15 is so strong, and everybody basically is somewhat still intact. Do you know how much resources we could pull together doing that? Right. 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 And you know, I applaud, you know, your brother them to stop shooting program and all that type of stuff. But we need a program in, up, up, up on Belvedere and Park Ice too. Because, because brothers is dying by, little young brothers is dying by, the, got a handful. And my last, I'm going to say last, what, I've been gone almost 20 years from Baltimore. I didn't heard, I didn't seen her and seen so many young brothers that passed away and young girls and being killed and kids been shot and, and, and I'm just amazed, like, how do you how do you make a mistake and shoot a kid? Like how? Like what you were shooting at? Like if you shooting and you can't shoot right, then you don't need to be shooting. Like at all. At all. And this is why I say the programs, man, is like we need to start getting programs where we buying back guns and get, let the police get them because it's like. Yeah, we can't control the narrative of all the guns that come in the hood, but we can control it. So we need to figure out how we're going to get these programs implemented and how can we get to, we're going to have to start going downtown the same we go to these parties and we have to go downtown and make these people do their job, man. Yeah, and that's we where we come out in droves for that. We yeah. come out in droves and save this community, right? And we just start to need to put our money together 
And if we got to rent one of them rent cars, C.C. Jackson or something like that, then that's what we right. need to do. Right. We need to really get these kids off the street, man, because it's getting worse and worse, and they getting they getting crazy and crazier. Yeah, you without know, a shadow of a doubt, they definitely are. So, you know, on that note, bro, you know, I'm glad we had this interview. I'm glad that, you know, you in good spirits. The family Man, is I'm good always here for you. I appreciate it. I'm always here for you. Whenever you need me, it's whatever. Because that's, that's how it always has been. And being much more on a positive tip, I wish Right. So, we are, like I say, you know, Belvedere Radio, we're definitely going to start implementing some programs. We're going to start having positive feedback. Eventually, I'm waiting on this interface to come in where I can talk to y'all. Y'all can email and we can be on the phone. So, you know, I'm just trying to get everything together. Everybody know that I'm going to shoot, you know, going to shoot this documentary. It's coming soon in 2021. They know the movie coming in, miniseries coming in 2021. Just trying to get everything together and keep this podcast going so we can help our community get our community together first, right? Then we can help everybody else, man. So, once again, it was a pleasure. It was an honor talking to you, my brother, Sean Marshall. As I always say, back in the day, Lil Sean, my man, you know what I'm saying? I'm happy that you're still here with us. I'm happy that the family's still here with us. Especially Greg, ass boy. He's been through a lot. He's been through a lot, man. And That's I, a testimony in itself. Right. I love that brother, man. Anytime I see him, he always keep it 100, man. A good brother, man. I know he, he definitely try to keep you where you need to be at, so... That being said, man, I'm out of here. Anything you need to say before I get out of here? Love you, my brother. I'm glad to see we both still here. Now we can really make a difference. Appreciate you. All right. Have a good day, my brother. And we're going to get together. All right, peace. Peace. Yes, 19.